I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be discussing Matteo Genduzzi after news emerged today that he is closing in on that permanent move to Marseille. It's the world's worst kept secret. I think we all knew it was coming. We all knew it was going to happen. But as we hear that that deal is emerging uh, closer and closer to completion, I felt it was uh, worthwhile talking about whether or not Arsenal and Mikel Arteta, to some degree, have made a mistake with Matteo Genduzzi, or were the club, were Mikel Arteta, um, was everybody involved justified in banishing him in the way that they did, and now subsequently losing him for a really nominal fee? Because that's ultimately what it is. Okay, so we'll get into that. We'll talk about that at length and in detail. I'll be taking your thoughts uh, from the chat box as well with regards to that subject. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to remind you guys that earlier on today, I caught up with 90 Min's transfer correspondent, very well connected, is Mr. Graham Bailey. Uh, that was the last episode that we dropped. It's available on the YouTube channel and, of course, in audio format. So if you want to hear some of the latest on the players that Arsenal are reportedly in pursuit of, then please do go over and check that one out. Leave a like on the video uh, and leave us your thoughts in the comments section below. If you're watching me live on the video and you see me rub my eyes, hay fever is absolutely murdering me today. Uh, one of the worst days I've probably ever had of it. Uh, and I'm struggling. I'm not going to lie. So if I mute the audio to sneeze, or I rub my eye repeatedly through the show. That is why. But um, I promise you, I'm doing my uh, absolute best to uh, soldier through it. Uh, let's say a few hellos. Uh, Rancid joins us in the chat. Social DRG is with us, as is CHHS fans. He says, greetings from Texas, Harry. The best Arsenal show on the internet, period. Thank you so, so much, mate. Really appreciate your kind words. Big hello to Dimitri. Uh, big hello to Gal Sitwe, uh, to Fort Lauderdale Guna Craig. Hope you're well, mate. Uh, big hello to Lynn as well, and of course, Scotty and everybody else joining us in the live stream at the moment. Before we talk Matteo Genduzzi, though, I just want to bring you guys a couple of bits of news that we haven't really talked about, um, since they broke. First of all, the confirmation that Alexander Lacazette is, uh, is, of course, joining Leon. That is done. He signed a three-year contract with his former club and returns to French football. Now, Leon finished eighth last season, so they won't be participating in Europe next season. Alexander Lacazette has decided to sign on and decided to rejoin them. So, listen, it's the world's... It's another one of those really badly kept secrets that Lacazette was on his way back to Leon. But I just want to congratulate him on the move, say thank you for the service, as we did when we heard he was leaving. Um, and wish him all the best, because although it didn't work out as we'd have liked, although he proved not to be worth, in my opinion, the 46 or whatever it was, million pounds that Arsenal paid for him way back when in 2017, you can't say it was because of a lack of effort and you can't say it was because of a poor attitude. Gave his best for Arsenal at every opportunity, uh, always fought for the short shirt, 
for the short, I was going to say, uh, always fought for the cause. And um, and I genuinely do miss him. Uh, miss him. I can't even talk today. Wish him all the best in his future endeavours. Uh, also, just want to quickly bring you guys uh, the news that Liverpool have reportedly agreed personal terms with the Uruguayan striker Darwin Nunez. Uh, he is said to be dead set on joining Liverpool this summer. And he's a player that I've talked about quite a bit over the last few months as somebody that I'd like to see Arsenal bring in. So although once you heard that Liverpool were in the running or once you heard that Liverpool were interested, you felt like it was one that we were never going to win, one that we were never going to get over the line. It is obviously still a bit of a kick in the bollocks when you hear uh, that Darwin Nunez is, is seemingly we think, closing in on a move to Anfield. So um, that's one of our striking targets out the window. We'll have to turn our attention elsewhere. I think we I think we probably recognised a while ago that this was not really a goer. And I think that's largely or partly why the Gabriel Jesus interest is so strong. You know, maybe Arsenal preferred Gabriel Jesus. I don't know. I'm speculating. Uh, but this was a player that I had my sights set on personally. So, um, yeah, disappointed. Uh, to see that he's going elsewhere. But listen, at the end of the day, Liverpool are going to pay a hell of a lot of money for this player. And I'm not sure that Arsenal were ever going to be willing to pay what Benfica are asking, which is substantially more, if you're to believe the reports that we've been reading, than I thought it would take to get the player. So credit to Benfica for digging their heels in. I think it'll be a structured deal. I think that Liverpool will pay a lump sum up front and then make the rest up over time. And I think Benfica will probably be quite satisfied with that as long as the total value of the deal marries up to what they value the player at. I beg your pardon. Right, let's uh, let's move on then. Matteo Genduzzi, the main topic of the show. And, I, you know, I know we've discussed this in the past and I know we've talked about Genduzzi and his future on numerous occasions, but I always think when you get to the point where a player is literally one foot out the door, um you start to, you know, and and you recognise that there is no way back for Matteo Genduzzi. I, I don't know, this kind of reflective mood came over me a little bit earlier on when I was reading something about this. And I wasn't actually planning to do another stream today. I, I thought about it earlier on. And as the day went on and I was reading around and I was doing my research and I was doing other bits and pieces of work, I kind of came to the conclusion that actually there was nothing really all that pressing at this moment, you know, at the time of recording that was worthwhile discussing that wasn't just a going over of something that we'd already spoken about over the last few days. And then I started to think about the Genduzi thing and started to process it all and started to think back to right when he joined Arsenal and the kind of journey that Matteo Genduzi has been on at Arsenal and then what that's led to afterwards, Hertha Berlin, uh, you know, Marseille, becoming a fully-fledged French international, and we are where we are today. So I wanted to kind of talk about the whole situation now that I'm in a bit of a reflective mood and now that the thoughts are fresh in my mind. And listen, we're going to have to get a little bit creative over the course of the summer because there'll be a lot of regurgitation of news stories. So I want to do things that are a little bit outside the box as well and that are a little bit different. So please bear with me over the summer. And any thoughts on shows that you guys would like, if there's any... Uh, ideas that you think would make a good podcast and a good episode, I'm more than happy to to take them on board. And and the ones that I think I can do a decent job of, I will 
I will tackle them head on. So I guess we got to start with the journey. You know, what happened to Matteo Genduzzi? Why are we in this position where a player who was once spoken about as somebody who was potentially worth £50 million is now joining a league and club for a fee of around about £9 million? How did we get from that to here? How did we get from there to here? How did we end up in this situation? Well, let's rewind it right back to when he signed for Arsenal. He was signed during a really, really busy transfer window. If you remember, we brought a number of players in during that summer. And and he came in in the same summer as Lucas Torreira, who was, for me, the one that was assumed to be the kind of marquee midfield signing. The one that you looked at and you thought, this guy is coming in the team to play week in, week out. This guy's coming into the team to become an integral part of it from the off and that is that. And with Matteo Genduzzi, he was a player that, if if I'm being completely honest, I'd never heard of prior. Um, and, and I looked at as a project signing, a signing that was going to come into the football club and was going to, uh, you know, de- develop and learn his trade. And hopefully one day be in a position whereby he could either help the team become a regular in the team or he could be somebody that we could sell on as an asset. So, as I say, project signing was the first thing that crossed my mind when I think back to those days when Matteo Genduzzi first signed. £7.2 million was the fee uh, from Lorient, who were playing in the second tier of French football at the time. Um, And as I say, there wasn't an awful lot of expectation. But he and Lucas Terreira didn't look that many miles apart, if any, when the two were compared straight away. I thought that Guendouzi came in, fit in brilliantly, um, looked really enthusiastic, looked fearless at times, was brave, was bold, um, and at times looked mature beyond his years. If you think back now, when you look at the stats, and I, and I did have a quick peek before we went live, in the 18-19 season, Matteo Genduzzi made 48 appearances for Arsenal, 33 of which were in the Premier League. In the 19-20 season, he made 34 appearances, 24 of which were in the Premier League. So this was a guy that I think was very much brought in as a project signing, was very much brought in with the idea of someone who, uh, of being someone who was going to develop and who was going to you know, learn his trade and eventually get to this point. But instead he came in and he had an instant impact. And all of a sudden people were looking at this as one of the steals of the summer, one of the steals of the last few years. Matteo Genduzzi, 7.2 million pounds. He's come in, he's grabbing midfields by the scruff of the neck. He's dictating plays, he's doing this, he's doing that. And, and because it came as a massive, massive shock to everybody, you know, naturally, He went from kind of being here in terms of people's mindsets to literally right up here. And actually, sometimes, although you get that initial spike when a player comes through early in his career and and surpasses early expectation, what that does at times is it can set unrealistic goals and it can set an unrealistic expectation of a player that just simply isn't ready over the course of a long period of time to fulfil that. Now, we all know that Matteo Genduzzi's decline at Arsenal, if you want to call it that, or issues at Arsenal, were nothing to do with his playing ability. 
You know, I think when you think about some of his qualities, he covered an incredible amount of ground. He was combative, uh, technically very, very sound. Not the best, like not Martin Odegaard technical, like not Santi Cazorla technical, but good enough to get by and good enough um, that he could he could do his job in the middle of the park. I thought he set a good tempo at times, the way he closed people down, but also the way he was keen to move the ball quickly, the way he would carry the ball sometimes and the way he'd give us that little bit of drive. But there were negatives as well to what Matteo Genduzzi brought to the table. I thought that positionally, at times, he could be quite ill-disciplined. I remember one game in particular. It was a game at home against Wolves. And it, Unai Emery was in charge. And I think this might have been in the second Emery season, not a million miles before he got sacked. I think, if my memory serves me correctly, and I haven't looked this up, this is just off the top of my head, where for some reason, I don't know if he felt like he needed to do it because of what we had on the right-hand side, but he literally spent his entire game sort of coming out to the uh, to Arsenal's right-hand side to try and confront the, the Wolves' fullback. Was it a, a ploy from Unai Emery? Was it something that was deliberate? Was he tasked with doing that? I, I don't really know. But ultimately, what that did was leave a gaping hole in the middle of the park and allow Wolves to control the game for large periods of time. And I remember coming away from that game thinking one of the big problems today was that Matteo Genduzzi, not that he wasn't enthusiastic, not that he wasn't trying, not that he was lazy, not that he technically isn't good enough, but he just kept getting absorbed into situations that he had no business getting involved in positionally. And, and that was probably one of the first times I really sort of noticed that that issue in Matteo Genduzzi's game. Now, if you're in a great side um, and you're in a dominant side, a lot of the time that won't be a thing. A lot of the time, you know, you'll be covered um, and you'll have a lot of the ball, so you won't be getting sucked into those areas. But at that in at that time, that Arsenal team wasn't very good, um, wasn't having a great time. And Matteo Genduzzi, in perhaps his over-enthusiasm to try and make his mark on the game, go and get hold of the ball, go and win it back quickly, probably vacated areas in the pitch that he really shouldn't have been vacating. And, and I think showed a bit of a, a lack of maturity. Now, I said when I was talking about him earlier on that there, that I felt when he first came in as though he was mature beyond his years. But I think over time, my opinion on that changed. Um, I mean, if you think about some of the incidents that occurred that led to him ultimately being cast aside, you've got to think about the Neil Mopai incident. Now, Neil Mopai is a top shithouse. And, you know, I, there's a part of me that loves watching Arsenal players have that bit of needle and take things personally like that and want to fight back and want to fight for their team and want to fight for their cause. But there comes a point where you got to make sure that if you are doing that, it's not affecting your game. And I did feel at certain points towards the end of Matteo Genduzzi's time in the side, he was getting sucked into situations, not positionally this time, but mentally that were impacting on his ability to perform and carry out the manager's instructions. So I think, that was that was a big problem. We hear and we read that there were a lot of problems with Guendouzi or a number of incidents that occurred during Arsenal's winter trip to Dubai. Uh, he didn't impress uh, Mikel Arteta then. And, um, and when he was then left out of the side, we were told that it was due to internal issues. So similarly with the Aubameyang thing, although we 
we think we know and we read lots of reports and there was lots of speculation the club opted and Mikel Arteta opted to keep it for the most part quiet or at least the details anyway so it became apparent that Matteo Genduzzi had fallen out with Mikel Arteta and the question was then at that point can uh, can you turn that around can you win back that trust of the manager equally the flip side of that is can the the player now put this behind him and move on because it's not just about you know you can't just assume that the player was kind of there knocking on the door apologizing and Mikel Arteta sort of had his arm out and said nope you're not coming anywhere near me this is done this is not continuing we don't know how Matteo Genduzzi reacted to it but and and I, and I don't want to be one of those people that kind of adds two and two and comes up with six or seven when that's clearly not the case or there isn't ample evidence to suggest or prove that but we then heard from other managers you know we heard from the Hertha Berlin boss when Matteo Genduzzi spent some time there that he was very immature that was the, the term he used to describe Matteo Genduzzi's attitude I had a conversation on this very podcast with former Arsenal man Jeremy Aliadier who played with Matteo Genduzzi at Lorient towards the back end of his career and at the very beginning of Matteo Genduzzi's. And one of the things he told me on that show, which you can go back and check out, it was quite a while back now, probably a couple of years ago. But one of the things he told me on that show was that he always looked at Matteo Genduzzi as somebody with incredible ability, but somebody who could potentially waste the opportunity that his talent brings him because of his attitude, because of the way he gets involved in things that he shouldn't. And um, and when you start to hear the same thing or, or a criticism becomes common, you know, a lot of the time there will be truth to it. A lot of the time there will be a reason for that. Now, sometimes there's lazy criticisms and we've got to be really careful of those because there's lots in the media, particularly in the football world. You know, for example, one of the, the biggest, laziest criticisms or laziest takes I heard last season was, Cristiano Ronaldo is the biggest problem at Manchester United. Never mind that he's digging them out of shit every week and scoring them winning goals and getting them through in the Champions League. You know, the other notion that Paul Pogba, you know, is a rubbish player. He's not. He's absolutely not. So you get that in the media and you've got to be really, really careful to not get sucked in. But I think the the comments that we heard about Guendouzi, his attitude, maybe his maturity levels, I think had substance to them when you really think about it. And it kind of led me to believe that although if it were me, I may well have said, you know, this is your your final chance, your final opportunity and giving him another go. Um, I think that I could, I, I kind of get why Mikel Arteta didn't want to do that. And you've got to remember as well, the timing of this all was at a time where Mikel Arteta was still very much trying to uh, stamp his authority on the group, was still making wholesale changes, was still trying to identify some of the root causes of our problems, was still trying to identify some of the rotten eggs, if you want to call them that, and then was moving to to move those guys on and get them out of the way. And with Matteo Genduzzi, to be fair, um, you know, it wasn't a, you know, let's let's cut him loose, um, you know, and... Uh, and that be that and sell him in the summer. It was a, a loan to her to Berlin, followed by a loan to Marseille. But at no point have you ever felt that there was a future for Matteo Genduzzi at Arsenal. And as I mentioned on TalkSport 2 yesterday, it was one of those transfers. And there were a number of them that were almost, in my eyes, done but not officially done from last summer 
to take place this summer. Uh, there was a, an option to buy clause put in for Marseille, as reported by Charles Watts and various others, that had such a low threshold for it to be triggered um, that, you know, it was always going to be uh, a done deal. Or maybe I've said that the wrong way around, but basically there were there were clauses in that contract that gave Marseille the opportunity to get out of that option to buy or the, the obligation to buy, whatever way you want to look at it or call it. But there were really stupid stipulations that they were they were never in danger of not being met so yeah um you know that's uh that's where i am on this like it, this has been done i mean I'd, I'd spoken to numerous people throughout the the last season who said to me well maybe genduzi will come back and play no it, it was never on the cards it was never going to happen but did we make a mistake did we would we have been in this situation with Gwenduzi had Arsene Wenger been his boss. So this is a, a double-edged sword because on the one side, you'd be looking at it and you'd be saying, actually, Arsene proved over the years that he had the ability to extract the talent from some really difficult characters. And that would more often than not be enough to get us over the line. But by that same token, it's ultimately what bred this culture that has had such a negative impact on Arsenal for so many years. And it's what bred the culture that Mikel Arteta has spent the last couple of years trying to trying to cut out and, and trying to get rid of and trying to reset. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's a weird one because on the one hand, as I say, you've got the most talented players. If you can manage those talented players and extract that talent from them on a regular basis, you will get football results quite often because you have talented players. But by that same token, if you're starting a rebuild, and I think there was a real acceptance after the Unai Emery experiment failed that that was exactly what we needed to do, you can't afford to keep those kind of people around. You can't afford to overlook the holistic approach that you feel is the way forward for the benefit of an individual because despite his attitude issues, despite his conduct you think that there is something in there that you can get out of him that will improve your team and as I say I, I talked about a lot of his qualities you know covering lots of ground being combative technically sound in my opinion sets a good tempo in terms of on and off the ball but negatives I talked about the positional ill discipline but I think there were other things as well you know we've talked about him being hot-headed getting sucked into situations that he had no business being involved in that kind of ties into petulance, which was another thing. But also, was he good enough at progressing the lines with the ball in terms of his passing? I think there's a question mark over that. I'm not saying he's bad at it, but I think that was one of the question marks I had. Now, I've got to be honest, I haven't watched an awful lot of Matteo Genduzzi since he left Arsenal on loan to go to her to Berlin and then go to Marseille because, quite frankly, I never, ever felt that there was a way back for him. So it never felt like a valid use of my time. Um, but I'm told that he's he's had a good season. I'm told that he's done a decent job and, and fair play to him because he is a talented player. But at some point or another, and even if he does end up staying at Marseille for the next five, six years, when he, when he hangs up his boots... There will be a lot of us that look back at Matteo Genduzzi and say, if only you had your head screwed on. 
you could have gone to much bigger heights. And that's not to be disrespectful to Marseille or to French football, but you came to the Premier League, the best league in the world, the biggest league in the world. You joined one of the biggest institutions within that league and you managed to force your way into the side at such a young age and you captured everybody's imaginations and you you got everybody on side and you made everybody think that you were on course to become one of the league's best players in your position. And basically, the fact that your head wasn't screwed on has seen you take, in my opinion, backward steps in your career. Yeah, OK, you're a French international now. Would that not have happened in an Arsenal shirt? Of course it would. OK, you're going to be playing in the Champions League with Marseille, but it's Marseille. You're playing in a weak league, week in, week out, and Marseille have absolutely no chance of winning a Champions League or of even going far in it. In fact, I'll be surprised if they get through the group stage. So what you have is a player who, you know, is a is a relatively big fish in a smaller pond now. I'm not saying that Marseille are a small club because they're not, but they're not a Premier League club. They're not an elite club. They're not a club that even stand all that much chance of winning the French League either. You know, Paris Saint-Germain have dominated that for years. There have been a couple of anomalies along the way in recent seasons, but it, it is what it is. I just think he's I just think he's somebody that when, when he retires, when he hangs up his boots, we'll all look back at and go, nah, you could have done more. You could have achieved more. And that will be a big regret. So I guess I've gone around the houses for 25 minutes now on this, but what is my conclusion then? Have Arsenal made a mistake? I think on the balance of of things and when you take it all into consideration and you process all of the evidence that we have available to us, I think you have to say that Mikel Arteta did the right thing because it was for the good of the changing room, for the good of the environment, for the good of the team. Is Matteo Genduzzi so amazingly good that you would be willing to put up with that shit. Well, Mr. Wenger might have felt that. But uh, Mikel Arteta's approach is is a very different one. Um, And ultimately, uh, you know, he he didn't think that it fit. So I can't sit here and categorically say it was a mistake. Now, if Matteo Genduzzi goes on to greater heights, then maybe we can say that later down the line. But I don't think he has, at this moment in time, upgraded, you know, to say that, you know, look at him now making a career at Barcelona or Real Madrid or Manchester United or, you know, you know what I mean, any big club. Marseille are a big club in their own right in France, but outside of that, are they really viewed as a step up from Arsenal? I don't think so. So that's where I'm at on it. I don't think you can say it was a mistake, but when you take into consideration the the potential of the lad. And when you take into consideration the fact that his value based on sort of what it was thought to be at the time he was, you know, making a mark at Arsenal has nosedived over the last couple of years to a point where eight, nine million pounds um, is, uh, you know, is, is what we're talking about. It is disappointing. Um, Diagene says uh, it's hilarious that Harry regards breaking into the French team as not a greater height than Arsenal. I didn't say that. Um, I'm talking about, I've literally pointed to the fact that he's got to the French team on a number of occasions during this episode to praise him for doing that. But the point I'm trying to make is that he could have achieved that at Arsenal and playing in the Premier League with Arsenal 
being fifth in the Premier League with Arsenal, for me, standard-wise, carries more weight than finishing second or third in the French League. I think European competition proves that. Um, when you look at how the English clubs fare in comparison to the French sides, outside of Paris Saint-Germain, the French League is not a very of a very high standard. So that's, that's not what I said. <laughs> I, I praised him for getting into the French team. The point I made was that he could have done that at Arsenal. He could have done that from anywhere as long as he was playing regularly. Let's go over to the poll because I put a poll out on this. I wanted to get you guys' thoughts on whether or not you think that Arsenal have made a mistake with Matteo Genduzzi. Um, and it's really, really tight, as I thought it might be. We've had 178 votes so far. 53% of you think that we have made a mistake on Matteo Genduzzi. But I'd be interested to know what that's based on. Like, do you think it's a mistake based on what he could have been? Or is the fact that we're only getting around £9 million part of your thinking here? Let me know in the chat as well. And 46% of you, that it's changed now slightly, 54% yes, we have made a mistake regarding Matteo Genduzzi and 46% of you say no. Keep voting in the poll and we'll check it again towards the end of the show. Now I'm going to take some of your thoughts, some of your uh, questions from the live chat box uh, before we wrap up. But before I do that, if I could just ask please do uh, hit that like button on the video. Let's try and get up to 100 likes. It should be really easy. There's more than double of that uh, watching with us at the moment. So please do. It doesn't cost a thing. Uh, let's see uh, what else we've got. Um, Alex says, uh, not a fan of his, but losing someone like him for less than 10 million isn't good business. You could easily have got 20 million if handled better. I tend to agree with you about the transfer fee, but I always say this, like when you make that decision to, to banish someone essentially, which is ultimately what happened to Matteo Genduzzi, you're sending a message, not just to that player, but to the rest of the world that you don't value him anymore. You, you don't see him as a key cog. You don't see him as a key part. You don't see him as a key player. And so then naturally that makes it more difficult to command reasonable transfer fees for these players. And I think we're going to have this problem with a number of people. It's why we've got a problem now with Bellerin. It's why we've got a problem now with Torreira. But I agree with you in an ideal world, you know, 20 million would have been much, much better and much more like it. I guess if I want to look at a silver lining and it is just me looking for a silver lining, we got back a little bit more than what we paid for him. So it wasn't a costly mistake in the end, but whether it was a mistake is is up for grabs. Uh, Craig says, Guendouzi for me is a 50-50. Yes and no. The French club is that, and the French club team isn't bigger than Arsenal. Yep, completely agree. SJ Chan says, apparently Arsenal are, quote, miles off major trophies and therefore players who improve us shouldn't come to us. This stinks of what you said, media, press, etc., wanting to kick us down. Where the Arsenal win massive. They all want to do it. Uh, Dimitri says, Harry, my overriding feeling on it is that you can be right every time and still end up in the shitter. I'd say Arteta was probably right getting rid, but there's only so much setting assets on fire that we can do. Yeah, agreed. There's only so much of that we can do before the club stop and go, hold on a minute. Like the ownership stop and go, hold on a minute. What is going on here? 
The advantage that Mikel Arteta has, though, at this moment in time, is A, obviously he's clearly very well supported by them, maybe not as financially supported as we'd like him to be, but he's supported based on the trust that they've put in him. But also all the players or all the assets that, if you like, we've set on fire, or at least the very vast majority have been signings that were made or have been in relation to or regards to players that we, you know, basically took big punts on prior to his arrival. I mean, Ozil, that was an under Arteta's watch. Aubameyang, the new contract was um, under Arteta's watch. So you can you can look at that and you can you can say maybe, you know, his influence in that proved to be uh, a mistake. But I think the majority of the players that we're going to be waving goodbye to for nominal fees, as I say, are not players that Mikel Arteta brought to the club. And that just gives him a leg to stand on when going upstairs and having these conversations. You know, why are we why are we letting this guy go for, for dirt cheap? Well, because no one wants him, boss. Why does no one want him, boss? I don't know, mate. I didn't sign him. That's kind of the thing that Mikel Arteta has to lean on at the moment. But if this continues to happen in the coming years and it starts to happen with players that Mikel Arteta has been pushing the club towards signing or had an influence on the signing of, then you think that there'll be a little bit more pushback on that. Craigie uh, says uh, it's a huge mistake. Uh, Henry says, why can't people listen to what's being said? It's not hard to keep up. Uh, Tom says, Harry, to me, at best, uh, Gwenduzi is Samir Nasri with more upside. But I just don't think his attitude is worth it. See, I think Samir Nasri was a much more talented player than Matteo Gwenduzi. And even if there were issues with Samir Nasri, I'd have been much more willing to live with those if I were a manager than Gwenduzi because Samir Nasri had a period of maybe two seasons where he was a real game changer. He was a match winner. He, he went through a really, really good period. And so I think that in, in the case of someone like Nasri, and in the case of maybe Nicola Anelka, another good example from the past, their talent was so good and, and so much better that you almost went, OK, I don't like this, but to a degree, I have to learn to live with it. Gwenduzi showed promise, but he never really hit that height for me where I went, wow, this guy's an indispensable member of the team. And so I simply cannot afford to let him go. I don't think Gwenduzi ever got to that point, in my opinion, anyway. Steve says, are Arsenal better off with him or without him? For me, I feel we're better off without him. The dressing room unity suffered with his presence. Uh, Gilfie says, where is it? It's just disappeared from my, here we go. Don't you think that Gwenduzi is better than Lokonga and Elneny? Um, yeah, at, at this moment in time, I do. But it's not just about that. You know, none of those two players that you've mentioned, Lokonga or Neni, will start for Arsenal when everybody's fit and available. They're both backup players. They're both players that come in and out of the side when necessary. But to be a backup player, you need to have the right attitude, right? You you can't be this massive ego and this massive kind of ball of cockiness, which, um, you know, Gwenduzi is at times. And be accepting of that role. And you, every every squad needs those players, right? Players that go, you know, I, I I know that I'm not quite at the level of the starter, 
all things considered, but I'm going to be ready and I'm going to be there to to come in and do a job. Now, obviously, you want the best players available to you possible, but it's, again, it goes back to that point. For me, Guendouzi was not so good and isn't so good that you have to put up with all the crap that comes with him. Lokonga and Elneny are not starters and I'm keen to see Arsenal bring in a Tielemans or whatever this summer to add further quality to those uh, midfield options in the event that Xhaka and Partey are unavailable. Sko says, I always say if that one player... I always say if that one player is 10% better talent than rivals for his position, but if he's gone to every single player on the team, plays 5% better because the team is in good spirit, then do the math. I've I've confused myself reading that. Hold on. I always say that if one player is 10% better, better talent than rivals for his position, but if every single player on the team plays 5% better because they've got someone of a good spirit than they do, then that's better. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I get what you're trying to say, um, and it, and it's a valid point. Matt says, "I think when Doozy is a stick, people will always use to beat Arteta with. He had a bad attitude. It's right we let him go." Fair. Um, Odane Cooper says, "What about as a manager putting his arms around him? Good managers wouldn't have done that, don't you think?" I think that there are good managers that would have kicked him to the curb. George Graham would have kicked him to the curb without question. He was a good manager. Um, it's different management styles. But I think at the time when Mikel was trying to deal with all this, he was really trying to stamp his authority. And, and maybe you could argue, and maybe Saliba too, what kind of collateral damage of, of the bigger picture in Mikel Arteta's eyes. I don't know. I don't know. But um, you can only put your arm around someone and try and get them back on side if what they've done in your eyes is is forgivable and based on the way it kind of just all unfolded and the way he kind of ended up being banished i'm not sure that what he did was forgivable but again we're speculating we don't really know uh the shabalala says no we were not wrong he acts like a child um fair point as well look there's loads of questions and loads of stuff in the chat which um I'm not going to be able to get through just because I'm pushed for time. But I promise you, uh, on tomorrow's edition of the podcast, we'll spend a much uh, significant, much more significant um, period of the show, taking your questions, taking your thoughts. If you've got any follow-up questions on this particular subject and you're watching this back on replay or you're watching us live, wait till the video ends um, and leave it in the comments on YouTube and I'll do my absolute best to try and get through them and reply to you uh, on them. <laughs> Just before I go, so he says, Harry, when are you going to get Arteta on the show to answer these questions? Make the red tape um, involved to get anyone from the football club, let alone the manager himself. It is bloody near on impossible. Um, so, uh, yeah, one day maybe we'll be successful enough to uh, to get that in. But at the moment, it's not happening anytime soon. i got to be honest. Uh, Gunner Deja Vu says, Harry, are you ever critical of this regime. I can't recall one time you didn't defend them. I said I was going to go, but I got to tackle this one. I've been massively critical of Arsenal on so many things, but because I don't shout about it, because I don't rant and rave about it, because I speak about it, um, I always get this criticism levelled at me. I, I've said time and time again that I think that, you know, a number of things have, have gone down in a way that 
I wouldn't have liked to see them go down in. I think decisions have been made that have been wrong. Um, and, and I think that, as I've said to you maybe three times during this particular episode, there is a part of me that regrets the Gwendouzi thing. And there is a part of me that thinks if a manager with a bit more experience was at the helm, if a, a manager who maybe had been there, done this, seen it over five, six times and had a better understanding of how to kind of mitigate the, the potential issues caused by the situation and then be able to um, approach it more calmly, that maybe it had been different. I think Gwendouzi was a problem, but I also think that he, to a degree, turned out to be collateral damage in Mikel Arteta's quest to stamp his authority on the group and on the squad. And if in the long run, you know, Arsenal continue to push forward and Arsenal continue to develop, and that is built on the premise and on the basis of a strong uh, togetherness in the dressing room, players with the right attitudes, players with the right values, then, mate, I couldn't give a shit about Gwendouzi. I, I was trying to think of a more eloquent term, but I couldn't. You know, if 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 all of what Mikel Arteta has done in terms of weeding out the bad eggs, getting rid of all these players, moving them on, going for players of a certain character, a character that they're willing to give everything to the team and they're going to take us in the right direction, then uh, honestly, I, I care not for individuals because I'm an Arsenal fan. I'm not a Gwendouzi fan. I'm not an Aubameyang fan. I'm not an Ozil fan. I'm an Arsenal fan. And um, and and that's where I am on it. But I am critical of them. It maybe gets lost sometimes, as I say, because I, I don't shout and scream about it. I don't think that, you know, in you know, when I first started YouTube and when I first started my podcast, um, I was a banker, right? I was a banker who did this for a bit of fun. I didn't really care if I, you know, went off on one. Or, you know, I would I would record things and sometimes be a little bit raw in my reaction. And it doesn't mean I don't feel those emotions anymore. It doesn't mean that they've just gone and that I'm all of a sudden, like, much calmer. If you, see, if you come and stand next to me at Emirates Stadium, you'll see a bag of nerves, someone who gets way too angry over certain things. And, and, and that's the reality of it. But I think now... You know, over the years, as the podcast has developed and as I've sort of moved into doing this as a career and now work for a number of media organisations, it's not that my opinion needs to be sanitised. It's that I have a responsibility, I think, to deliver my opinion in a different way. And and I think, you know, that if I didn't see that, realise that, understand that, I wouldn't have had the opportunities that I do now to work in the media. So it's not about getting rid of all your opinions and all your individuality and pretending that you don't get annoyed about things and pretending that everything's rosy and everything's okay. It's just about realizing that when you do certain work and when you do, uh, and when you've been lucky enough, and I have been really lucky, and I know a lot of it's down to luck, to be given opportunities to, to move into a career that I really wanted to do and, and something I really love, you've got to sometimes tailor your approach a little bit. And so, as I say, I still feel all the same things and I still disagree with a lot of what the club are doing. And I still have reservations about this project and where we're going to end up with it. 
and I constantly talk about my concerns and my worries and my fears. But if I shout and scream about it, what does that do? Like, it, it, it's not the route I want to go down. It's not where I want to be. And as I say, I don't believe that I would have had half the opportunities I do and get called back to do things if I if I was only focused on shouting and swearing. And, and if I did that, maybe I'd get more views. Maybe I'd get more downloads. Maybe I'd become a meme. Maybe I'd become, you know, I'd get more followers on Twitter. I don't know. But for me, that's that's not the way to do it. This is the way to do it, to be measured, um, to be both critical and and full of praise, but do it in a constructive way. And, and that's just that's just me. Uh, but anyway, look, going to leave you all there. Um, I'll catch you all very, very soon. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Uh, let me know your thoughts in the chat. Uh, sorry, in the comment section below. If you're watching this on replay, don't forget to leave a like on the video. Have we hit that 100 mark? Nope. Nope. What are we playing at? Get involved. Hit the like button. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. And I'll see you all soon. I'm Martin Tyler. And you're listening to Harry Simeon.